Well, hello, friend. And how are you? I hope you're well wherever you are in this world that you're listening to this program. Ordinarily, I would be pouring myself a cup of coffee as I tend to record this show early on a Sunday morning. However, today I'm recording at um, a late night show for a change. Sometimes these things happen. You get busy in your day job and your life gets out of the out of control sometimes. So it is late night, as I stated just a second ago. And instead of pouring a cup of coffee, I'm going to pour myself a pint of Guinness. And hopefully you can hear me. Oh, there it goes. Oh, a little bit of foam. That's okay. It is a Guinness after all. Foam is to be expected. Let's listen to the pour. Can we hear the pour? It's a beautiful thing right there, that, my friends. The cascade has begun. If you know what I'm talking about, there's no need for me to explain. And if you don't, well, that's okay, too. Guinness is not for everyone, and not everybody consumes alcohol. I do, because I've a wee bit of the Irish in me is what I've got, you see. So I'll raise my glass and take a sip. That's creamy, stout goodness right there, my friends. Absolutely perfect. So this is Songs and Stories, Supplemental Jazz Edition, Part 60. 60 shows. A lot more than I ever thought there would be, because this really did start out as just a kind of a whim. I know I've said that many times before, and I'll probably repeat it again, because... I'm old and somewhat forgetful and don't always remember everything. Okay, enough rambling. Let's start the show off. This is from the album um, John Schofield, Hand Jive. Recorded in October of 93 and released in October of 1994. The title of this composition is Do Like Eddie. Thank you. 
70 years old, he'll be 71 in December of this year. 
You may think, oh, that's about Eddie Van Halen, but no, no, my friends, that is not who the song is about. It's about Eddie Harris. And now you might be thinking, Eddie Harris? If you're a pop music fan, you may think, I, I know that name. But where is it from? Well, my friends, I'll happily explain it to you. If you're familiar with the work of the Beastie Boys, from their album, their 1992 album. Was it 92 or 94? I don't recall. Let me just check here. I've got my notes somewhere here. (laughs) Check your head. From the album, check your head. And the song, So What You What You Want, starts off with, well, just plug me in, just like I was Eddie Harris. You're eating crazy cheese like you would think I'm from Paris. I'm not going to recite the rest of the lyrics. It is a brilliant piece, though, and and the reference of Plug Me In, well, that was the title of a brilliant record by Eddie Harris, recorded between March 14th and 15th in 1968 in New York City. So, yeah... The Beastie Boys plug the album, pardon the pun, Plug Me In by Eddie Harris. What would a reference? The Beasties were big jazz fans for those of you who are not maybe entirely aware. Now, Eddie and John Schofield, or Joe Schofield, I should, John Schofield, sorry. I got too many notes in front of me. They'd been friends for a very long time. Uh, Eddie passed away in uh, 1996 at the age of 62, originally from Chicago, Illinois. A brilliant uh, sax player, just absolutely brilliant tenor saxophonist. Um, he, he played with a who's who of jazz. I mean, like to begin with, Nat King Cole. Like, come on, that's the guy, right? Of course, he jammed and played with um, Miles. Um, <laughs> good God. He has, as a band leader, he's probably got about 50, 60 recordings. Worked with Horace Silver, Aaron, uh, Ellis, um, sorry, Ellis Marsalis Jr. Just a serious, serious musician and a spectacular player. Well revered. So, yeah. Do like Eddie. From John Schofield. Now, John, still very much alive and has been playing for a long time, he first came to sort of mainstream attention um, when he was uh, in the band of uh, Miles Davis. So, you know, we're talking a very heavy-duty pedigree here. Worked with Joe Anderson, Joe Lofano, uh, Pat Metheny, Mavis Staples. He's recorded with John Mayer. Yeah, Outside of jazz, of course. So the song you just heard was kind of a funky version of jazz. Not necessarily fusion, but definitely funky. And the reason it was done, and the reason it was recorded with Eddie, because Eddie was the sax on that particular composition, was in reference to all of the funky jazz that Eddie recorded in the 1960s. And they thought, let's do that again, shall we? Okay, so from funky uh, borderline fusion jazz to old school hard bop, 
This next composition is from the late, great Eric Dolphy. I have featured some music uh, from this gentleman in the past, and I will do so again in the future, because I, I really dig what he does. This was recorded uh, shortly before his death in 1964 from the album Out to Lunch. This is Eric Dolphy with the composition Hat and Beard. Thank you. 
Eric Dolphy from his album Out to Lunch, recorded uh, in a single day, February 25th, 1964, just a few short months before he passed away. The album was released posthumously in uh, August of 1964. Uh, Eric died in, uh, if serves, June of 1964 in Berlin, Germany, while he was on tour. I'll get to those details in just a few seconds, but I want to discuss this record a little bit more in detail. The album is, well, Out to Lunch is the title of the album, and it is a monumental recording in jazz. It was his only recording on the Blue Note label as a band leader. It's generally considered to be one of the finest albums ever issued by Blue Note Records. It's one of the definitive 1960s avant-garde jazz high points. And while the record, you know, it's, it's hard bop, avant-garde, free jazz, and third stream. During the sessions to record the record, he sat down with uh, all the other musicians and said, everyone is a leader in this session. Which is, I don't know how often anybody's ever said that. Now, the artists on the record, well, you know, kind of a who's who of the day. On trumpet, Mr. Freddie Hubbard. Bobby Hutcherson on the vibraphone, which you could hear very clearly in that composition. Richard Davis on the bass. And Tony Williams on the drums. Now, Eric also played the bass clarinet on that composition. The one you just heard. Hat and beard, which is kind of a reference to the late great Thelonious Monk. He said, uh, of Thelonious, Eric Dolphy once said, he, he's so musical, no matter what he's doing, even if it's just walking around. Now, every record review of this album, from every possible jazz and, well, even, heck, Rolling Stone's Jazz Record Guide. Everyone gives it top billing. All music, five out of five stars. The Encyclopedia of Popular Music, five out of five stars. The Penguin Guide to Jazz Recordings, four out of four stars. And the Rolling Stone Jazz Record Guide, five out of five stars. A monumental record. So much so that it is easily at the same caliber as the brilliant John Coltrane album, A Love Supreme. Lesser known outside of the jazz world. And I say that in the sense that it's not necessarily been played or sampled in as many movies or television shows as A Love Supreme. Which is kind of a shame because the record really, truly, absolutely, unequivocally stands on its own two feet. Now, sadly, like I said, Eric, uh, he passed away in, uh, was it 19, June 29th, 1964 in Berlin, Germany. Uh, he, he arrived, I guess, in Berlin to play with a trio, and um, uh, the trio was led by Carl, uh, Carl Berger, they were opening at a jazz club called The Tangent. And I guess when he arrived, he was really seriously ill. 
and during the first concert he was he was barely barely able to play so you know he they brought him to the hospital that that evening but he got much much sicker that was on the 27th of june by the 28th he died after falling into a diabetic coma now the circumstances of his death are are still disputed but it's pretty much been accepted that um, he fell into a coma caused by undiagnosed diabetes, which really is a crying shame because the man was, what, 36 at the time? And I mean, the composition you just heard is spectacular. There was so much music left, and sadly, we will always be deprived of it. Okay. Change up time. Thank you. 
Mr. Eugene Jug Emmons. Hitting the Jug from the album Boss Tenor from the late great Jug Emmons. Or the Jug, as many of his friends referred to him. He was the son of Boogie Woogie pianist Albert Emmons. Gene is remembered mostly for his incredibly accessible music, steeped in soul and rhythm and blues. Sadly, he passed away at the tender age of 49 in 1974 from bone cancer. He did play with all of the greats back in his day, though. Donald Byrd, Jackie McLean, John Coltrane, Kenny Burrell, Duke Jordan, Muddy Waters. Yes, Muddy Waters. I kid you not. He was influential and a man who recorded something in the neighborhood of 50 uh, albums as a band leader. He also worked as a sideman with pretty much a who's who of jazz. That album and that composition was recorded in 1960, June 16th, 1960, a single day. The Van Gelder Studio in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Produced by Bob Weinstock. Was a legendary producer in the jazz world. Boss tenor from tenor saxophonist Gene Emmons. Don't know why, uh, or why they called him Jug. I honestly don't. I, I don't have any references to explain where that name came from, but uh, who knows? He had some troubles. Um, in, in, in the late 50s, early 60s, he, uh, he, did, a, he did a bit, um, for those of, who are, those of you who may be unaware of what that term means, he, he spent time in prison from 58 to 60, and then uh, he, he was released and, then, and unfortunately went back in for seven more years from 62 to 69. It was all for uh, narcotics possession. Times have changed, I think. Today, they probably would have just maybe given him some actual help, you know? Instead of jailing somebody who has an addiction, well, send them to rehab. Help them get them straightened out. Maybe prolong their life. Now, there's no way to prolong his life as he died of bone cancer, like I said, in 1974, and... As someone who has been down that road, I can guarantee you that uh, medical knowledge in 1974 of bone cancer was incredibly limited. You have to understand, just a mere five years later, Terry Fox would lose his leg to cancer. And then he started his Marathon of Hope April 12, 1980, in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. I don't need to go into the details of the uh, absolute heroic individual that Terry Fox was and still is for millions of people around the world, not just Canadians. His races run everywhere. Okay, gotten a little off of musical topic here. Sometimes that happens. It is late in the evening and uh, don't want to be pedantic, but uh, the evening ends at midnight and then it becomes morning. That's really pedantic of me, because quite frankly, if you say two in the morning, 
I realize 2 a.m. is in the morning, but it still means night to me because it's dark out. That's how my simple lizard brain works. Okay. Two more compositions for you, and I'm going to stay with some of the older jazz this evening. Um, this, this next uh, composition is from the album Green Street by Grant Green, and the composition is titled Number One Green Street. Thank you. 
Oh, yeah. Number one, Green Street. From the album, Green Street. Recorded April 1st, 1961. Released October of 1961. And uh, that particular uh, record, four stars across the board by all reviewers at the time. Of course, Grant Green was a... uh, Well, the album stands as one of his best recordings. In, in, in the 10 years he recorded on the Blue Note label, that was recorded at the Van Gelder Studio in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. His style was mostly post-bop. And of course, Grant Green, well, sadly he passed away in uh, 1979 at the very tender age of only 43. A sad, a sad end to uh, such a young life from a brilliant, brilliant player. They played jazz, bebop, hard bop, soul jazz, jazz blues, jazz funk. He was a musician, a songwriter, and had a career that uh, spanned almost 20 years, from 1959 to 1978. I featured songs by Grant in the past, and I have discussed, you know, his untimely death, and For those of you who are just listening to the show for the very first time, I'll let you know about it once again. Most of 1978, he'd he'd spent in the hospital because he'd been very unwell. Of course, United States of America, as a touring jazz musician, he didn't have a lot of money, and insurance didn't exist. So, against the advice of his doctors, he went back out on the road to earn money. So he was scheduled to play a show with um, at, at George Benson's Breezen Lounge. Sadly, he collapsed of a, a, a heart attack in his car and, and died on January 31st, 1979. A tragic end to a, a brilliant career uh, from quite possibly one of the most recognizable jazz guitar players of all time. Again, a short life, a short career, but absolutely, unequivocally influential. His music has been de- described as just a, a plain style that nobody else had, because he could do every type of jazz that existed. His chord structures and his boogie-woogie style were, well, something to behold. Absolutely breathtaking. Recorded with the who's who of jazz throughout his uh, young life, uh, short career, 20 years. I mean, in jazz, that's a relatively short career. But he did record with Elvin Jones, Lou Donaldson, uh, McCoy Tyner, Sonny Clark. Uh, he, He did do some work with some of the members, former members of the John Coltrane Quartet. And he worked with Hank Mobley a couple of times, along with Stanley Turrentine. So the man, he he played with a who's who of the jazz world at the time. But a victim of circumstance. Isn't that uh, kind of the tragic way that many young artists die? Okay, I don't want to get too melancholy here. I'm going to play a track now from the uh, great, brilliant,
Mobley.
goodness gracious me, the late great Hank Mobley, from the album No Room for Squares. That is the remastered Rudy Van Gelder edition. Now the record was originally recorded at the Van Gelder studio in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey and produced by Alfred Lyon, but it was recorded on two different dates. March 7th and October 7th, 2nd, sorry, 1963. Released in June of 1964. One of his all-time greatest records. The brilliant tenor saxophonist that was Hank Mobley. Now, my goodness, the record featured a who's who of musicians at the time. On that particular track, Lee Morgan... Andrew Hill, and John Orr. Of course, Philly Joe Jones was the drummer on every track on the record. John Orr was the bass player. Andrew Hill was the pianist. Of course, uh, Lee Morgan, trumpet, along with Hank doing the old tenor sax. The record also featured um, Herbie Hancock, along with Donald Byrd. Brilliant album. From a brilliant artist who... Well, died way too young. Uh, 1986, he was 55 years of age, which is only like a year and a few months away from me. So that's young as far as I'm concerned. Hank Catby had been a heroin addict in the 50s and uh, was in prison for a while in 1958. Throughout the 60s, he struggled for a long time, but he eventually did get clean and sober, but... He never uh, stopped smoking, and in the mid-70s, he kind of had to retire for a while because, well, when, when your instrument requires the use of your lungs and you smoke cigarettes. Anyway, he had a sad end to what was a brilliant career and a very short life, but thankfully, ever so thankfully and gratefully, We will always have the music. Okay. We have reached the end of the show, my friends. And it is um, officially late in the evening. And I am tired. So, my friend, you take care of yourself. Wherever you are in this world, I hope you are happy, healthy, and safe. Until we meet again. Take care.